It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hi, this is John Ridley. This is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline.com. And this is Doc Talk. And this is Doc Talk. 2024. Matt, they said we wouldn't last, and yet here we are. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, to you too. Great to be back with you. It is good to be back, and and we're, I mean, we're in full swing. This is award season in Hollywood. Things are kicking off. We ended last year uh, talking about the short list of the feature-length documentaries, and we kind of want to start kicking off this year talking about the short list of the uh, short-form documentary short subject. We didn't talk about that. We did talk about one of them last year, the ABCs of Book Banning by Sheila Nevins, but also nominated, and by the way, congratulations. Should jump by saying that to, to all the nominees. And to those who didn't make the list, again, I know it's heartbreaking, but honestly, the deep appreciation, I think, from Matt and myself, people who really love documentaries, to all the folks who are going out there and telling their stories their way. So for those of you who maybe have not seen the short list, the short list is, as I mentioned, the ABCs of Book Banning, the Barber of Little Rock, Bear, Between Earth and Sky, Black Girls Play, The Story of Hand Games, Camp Courage, Deciding Vote, How We Get Free, If Dreams Were Lightning, Rural Healthcare Crisis, Islands in Between, The Last Repair Shop, Last Song from Kabul, Nai Nai and Waipo, Oasis, and Wings of Dust. That's a good list, Matt. I, I have not seen all of those films. I know you have not seen all those films, but I think this would be a great time for us to, to dig in and start going through some of these films. But there is one film on this list that we did see that both of us really liked. I know I loved it. I know you loved it. And that on that list is Mr. Carey. It's The Last Repair Shop, directed by Chris Bowers and Ben Proudfoot, who have teamed together previously on an Oscar-nominated film. Such a pleasure to welcome them to Doc Talk. Well, when the short list of short documentaries came out, there were some familiar names on it to those who follow documentary Ben Proudfoot and Chris Bowers, who are on the short list once again for their film. The Last Repair Shop, and of course, they were Oscar-nominated for A Concerto is a Conversation just a few years ago, their, their 2020 short film, Last Repair Shop. It's not a, about an automotive body shop or anything <laughs> like that. It's about this rather unique institution in Los Angeles, part of the LAUSD, which is the Los Angeles Unified School District where unusually they provide freely repaired instruments to all of the kids in public schools. We're talking about 80,000 instruments. And there's just a handful of people who do all the repairs for those instruments. It is such a beautiful film, and we are joined now by Ben Proudfoot and Chris Bowers. Congratulations on making the shortlist. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, and, and you weave through these beautiful stories of four people who do the repairs. There's Dana Atkinson, 
who repairs strings. Patty Moreno does brass. Dwayne Michaels handles woodwinds. Steve Bugmanian is a supervisor, and he, he started off as a piano technician. I don't know how they deal with repairing 80,000 instruments, but you also weave in the kids who are playing these. And Chris, you know all about that because you went through the LAUSD. You were a, a proud graduate of that system. You were a beneficiary of that program. What did it mean to you growing up as a kid to have a piano? I mean, a piano, that's a, a big thing. And it's not easy to get access to one necessarily. Yeah, 100%. I think that it um, also was something that really helped me move through those years of my life, whether it was just having access to a piano that I could process anything I was going through while at school, but also it became a vehicle of communication in a lot of ways to some of the students at that school. I remember primarily in um, elementary school and middle school that being really crucial for me in terms of feeling like, um, especially in middle school, I could connect with people that I maybe had a little bit more difficulty connecting with on a verbal level that music became this way for me to um, interact with them and feel like I had a sense of community there, I think was, music was really helpful in that. Well, let's hear from one of the kids who's in the film. It begins with Porsche, who's nine years old, at least at the time when you were filming. And what a discovery she is. Absolutely delightful. Young violinist. And she talks about what the instrument means to her. I love the violin. The hardest things in my life is probably my family's health. Like everybody's always getting sick back to back. They're like, oh, we have to go to the hospital for them and stuff. Like, wait, um, I'll hear you play in a minute. I just have to get these medicine for them. You know, I can understand, but it's like, it's like okay. Like, like I guess I'll play by myself. If I didn't have my violin from school, I would probably, I don't know what I would do. Don't even jinx me with that. <laughs> so Ben, interestingly, when you and I and Chris talked at Telluride where the film played, you revealed that your in initial instinct was actually not to have the kids in the film. You were just going to focus on the technicians in the last repair shop. Yeah, you know, I, I'm the between Chris and I, I'm I'm the childless one. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, you know, I my initial instinct was I remember thinking, oh, that's the real sort of like narrative challenge that we could make it emotional and and powerful through just the repair people and the how the kids will appreciate it will be sort of like in our imagination, kind of the old Hitchcock idea. Um. Like, there's no way that. Uh, <laughs> smiling little kid could be any more cute than whatever you imagine. And I made that pitch to Chris and he was like, no, you need the kid. You know, <laughs> that's all really nice film school stuff, Ben, but you need the kid. And as you can see, it was totally the right direction for the movie. And that was totally from Chris's background of he knew what the relationship was, but you know, how profound of an actual relationship a young person can have with an instrument, which obviously is an inanimate object, but becomes so much more than that in your tender years. Yeah, she's, she is tender at nine, and she's just one of the, the several kids who are in the film. You have a young sousaphone player. I guess he's about 18 years old, so he's a 
He's a senior, and I had to look up what a sousaphone is, kind of similar to a tuba. <laughs> this tells you how much I know about music. And a pianist, uh, Amanda, a saxophonist. They're just remarkably endearing. But again, the film is really kind of constructed around the four personal stories of these technicians. And man, you really hit the jackpot, because what are the odds that every single one of these key people who are handling the repairs are fascinating and really moving? And before I ask you a little bit more about that, let's play a little clip uh, from Dana Atkinson, who again is handling the repairing of strings. He really speaks early in the film so movingly about what it means to be broken as an instrument or perhaps as a person and what it means not to discard something that's broken, but invest your care and time into preserving it. It's really hard being a kid. Some of them come from a place of love and support. And others come from huge dysfunction. The emotional broken things and the mental broken things are more difficult. You can't glue that back together. That takes time. And it takes care. Well, Ben, I, I know that you actually began working on this film with Chris before a concerto was a conversation your Oscar-nominated films, you spent four years working on it, and you'd heard about the LAUSD and, and how unusual it is. Almost every school system in the U.S., I guess, you cannot get freely repaired instruments. You may not have access to a, a free instrument. That's the context in which, and one of the reasons why we feel that this is such an important story, is we're experiencing a, a very sharp and dangerous decline in arts and music education today. Not, not just the United States, but around the world. And it is proven beyond the shadow of a doubt that there is a deep connection between access, equal access to music and arts education and success in life. I think it's like people are twice as likely to graduate if they have access to arts and music education. And so we were moved both to celebrate L.A., for its unique status as, as the only major city in the United States who provides free and freely repaired instruments. And it's nice to have something to be proud of in, in Los Angeles. <laughs> but also a, a clarion call that, you know, th this is not just something fun that you do between math and science. It is an essential part of becoming a full well-rounded, contributing member of society. And that obviously is something that's really important to both of us. And that that is the cause at the core of this film. We also have the Clippers. So there's much to be proud of here in Los Angeles. <laughs> what about the Lakers? No, you're not even mentioning them. What <laughs> Um, listen, I, this is all really, really good. I got to do a bit of a jump back. And I write a lot of graphic novels. There's a graphic novel, World's Finest. And World's Finest is Batman and Superman together. And Chris and Ben, I look at the two of you. <laughs> Separately, I, I can't even go through your resumes. It, it, it would take the half hour to go through everything you've done. Suffice it to say, you're incredibly talented. You've been recognized by your peers in, in truly almost every one of the major categories. I'm curious for the two of you, you have worked together previously, how you came together at all. And one thing I want to talk about, we talked about this film, and I, I was kidding on the square earlier with Chris when, when Chris first jumped on the line. And this is 
you know, not about any other film. This is about what you're doing. Last year, Matt and I, we go through all the documentaries, a lot of them, you know, they're full-on features and they're great, but you got to muscle through a lot. And Matt muscles through all of them. And then you come to short subjects and it's kind of nice because you get to dip in and get those same feelings, but it doesn't necessarily have that same climb. Your film is a full-on film. It's not merely kids talking about instruments. There is history. There are people from many cultures here in America and around the world. It is about representation. It is about orientation. It is about education. My mother-in-law was a teacher in LAUSD. My sister-in-law is. It is an incredible piece of work, top to bottom. So I'm curious for both of you who've excelled in in your fields separately, how you come together. Um, You work together very well, and I I don't know, but it doesn't seem like there's a lot of ego, which can be the death, but but a partnership. But I'm also curious how you divide that labor. And we can talk about it, talk about it. We're going to play these clips. People have to see, truly see this film. So I know that's a lot there, but I would love for you to just talk about how you met, how you started working together, and when you shoot. Because again, this is not just setting up a camera and talking about music. This is really a deep dive, and it's beautiful. Yeah, thanks so much. Yes. Thank you for that beautiful tribute to the to the movie. Um, Chris, you want to take How We Met, and I'll talk about the short form? Yeah, definitely. Um, so Ben and I met through a mutual mentor named Peter Rotter, who actually is also a producer on the film. Peter Rotter is one of the contractors here in LA for scoring work for um, music recording for films. And for me, he's been a mentor for years. And I remember talking to him about wanting to start getting into filmmaking. I had written a short film of my own years ago, and he immediately said, you have to meet Ben Proudfoot. And so Ben and I sat down and told him about this Uh, short that I was working on in this idea that I've always been chasing uh, of having music be a real driver in the storytelling. And and is it possible to write a story that's utilizing music in this uh, way that's helping push narrative before the thing's even been shot? And how do I get started with filmmaking? And so Ben really gave me this crash course in filmmaking and also was generous enough to produce this short of mine, which kind of became a self-funded student film that that I'll probably keep to myself for most of my life. <laughs> but, but that being said... Uh, um, now I have to see it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. but Don't it, touch the hot plate. I have to see this. <laughs> exactly. But that started our, our friendship in this, you know, deep dive into especially the multidisciplinary aspect of filmmaking and how much these different elements of the craft can really come together to help tell the story. And we shared our mutual love of film music um, historically and, and currently. And so that started this friendship. And then pretty soon after that, Ben was commissioned to make some films that led to a concern as a conversation and our collaboration there and even this, The Last Repair Shop. Um, and I'll speak a little bit about our collaboration before Ben jumps in, just that I think our backgrounds, again, in in loving music and loving different parts of the filmmaking process and different crafts, uh, but also our background as performing artists, uh, I think really helps our collaboration. Like Ben was a magician when he was younger. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Okay, wait, I'm going to let you finish, Chris, but here's what I'm doing as soon as we get off. I'm finding your student film, and Ben, I'm finding footage of you doing magic tricks. That's the doc I want to see. But, and for me as a jazz pianist, I think both of us have this background of improvisation, of 
you know, sensing when the moment is calling for something else, being really open to what needs to happen at any given time, then that really bleeds into our collaboration where we each are trying to serve the story. We're each trying to serve, you know, what this wants to be first and foremost, rather than our own egos. And we're very open if the other has a very strong idea of, of trying something. And we're, it, it's almost like, um, in terms of improv, a yes and approach where it's like anytime either of us has an idea, just like with, you know, having the kids in the film, Ben's reaction is like, okay, sure, let's try that. And same with anything that we tried in the editing or filming process, it was always like, yeah, let's see how that works or let's talk out that idea. And it would always just allow for the idea to survive if it's going to serve the story as opposed to one of us trying to force something because of an ego reason. Yeah, Ben, as, as we come to you, and again, I just want to say this film is, it's a documentary. And one of the things I really appreciate about docs is that they are really embracing aesthetic more and more. And, and, and I appreciate that. And there is a lot of aesthetic in here. So for example, you talk about, or there's a moment where the individual who's repairing string instruments is talking about what he does. And you actually see this, it's almost like a dentist type mirror that is coming in on the backside. You don't know where it's going, but then you you understand that you're within the instrument. And then you're on the other side and you see him doing it. But for me, rather than just going with it, I, I can't help but stop for a second and go, okay, so what did you do? You, you took apart the violin and you, where was the camera and all of that. So you realize there's real direction and I appreciate that. So how does that work for the two of you when it comes to the direction, not just documenting things, but actually adding that? Do you do that jointly? Does one of you take the lead on that? How do, how does, how do you work as a team on the set? It, it's very emulsified. So somebody might have the initial idea. That idea came from like, there's a picture in the repair shop of a very macro wide lens inside of a violin. You know, you, can, you see these things online. There's, there's posters of them. Photographers have done this where it looks like a huge room, like almost the size of a concert hall. The lens is so wide, such a fisheye lens that the inside of the violin becomes this big room. And an image like that ought to be in our movie. And then it's sort of like, well, how are we going to do that? And it's like, well, a violin is really kind of too small to get our camera in there. Like, I wish we had a big violin. And then somebody else says, well, that's called a double bass. You know, (laughs) what are we going to do? Buy a double bass and cut the back off of it. And then Steve's like, we have 12 double bass with the back cut off, you know? (laughs) And then as Chris and I are standing there, it's really just adding on top of each other. And like from an improvisation standpoint, it's the same thing. If you're a jazz musician playing in a a quartet and somebody takes the thing in in a direction, you run with it right? You don't reject it and say, no, we're going to play this melody over here. You say, okay, I'm going to try to see what you're trying to do and up it, enhance it, make it sparkle a little more, bring what I can bring to that idea. And if you go down that path and it's not particularly good, okay, well, you did what you could do. And that's kind of our collaboration is kind of plussing each other as, as far as we can and never... And the other thing, which I think is true which I actually think is an interesting thing about busy people in general. If you haven't had time to prepare, then you don't have any preconceived notions that you've invested in. You just come to the meeting with an open mind because you haven't had time, you know, which, which I always feel guilty about because it's like, oh, you've got you know, <laughs> to do a good job. Got to you know, Chris can walk up to a piano without having prepared and blow everybody's mind with that tool because he has spent so long with the instrument. And I think we both come to it that with an open mind without any preconceived notion. So like that moment with the dentistry thing, 
or the end credits where I have a specific idea about how we can do this. And Chris says, well, we could do this musically. Shouldn't we have moments with each of the repair people? Oh, yeah, we should. What order should they be in? Oh, you know, it would be great if we could get, you know, Steve's mentor to come down to be part of that. Oh, that would be touching. Oh, that's great. How would we do it? And Chris says, oh, the piano has this sort of, you know, cover that comes up. Maybe it could come around and reveal it, you know. So we we go back and it's very sort of emulsified. Talk, talk if you can real quick about, uh, not even real quick, take your time if you care to. But Steve is, his story is amazing. I mean, look, as, as Matt said, all the stories are amazing. But his story, where he comes from, and this moment in America, you know, Chris, you said it, that music, sometimes that universal language that we, maybe we can't speak it, but there are some things. And art, frankly, is universal. You know, we understand photography, we understand great paintings, and we understand films, whether they're dramas or Fast and Furious, they play around the world. It's an amazing story when Steve talk, starts to talk about in this country where he first felt a connection with someone if, if you either of you wants to just talk about that story. Yeah, I think it's so beautiful in all of the stories to see how music kind of helped them uh, reconnect to life, you know, and I think Steve's story is such a beautiful uh, example of that, that, you know, in a moment where he felt really possibly alone or, or felt um, coming out of the tragedy that he just experienced uh, back in Azerbaijan, I feel like for music to come back into his life in the way that it did and in a way reinvigorate his sense of hope or a sense of joy or these kinds of things, I feel like really has always felt so inspiring and, and such a perfect way to be the story we're left with, you know, in this telling of the uh, of the four craftspeople that we meet. I think that, you know, when we had those interviews, it always felt very obvious that Steve's should be the last one we hear. And in a lot of ways, that's because it's such a, a sweet surprise that this person that we've been seeing be kind of the bean counter this whole time has this history of being a technician himself. But I think that the way that his story just perfectly, again, encapsulates this idea of music being this healing thing is really also why we wanted it to be this thing that we're left with. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ben, you mentioned the closing credit sequence, which is one of the most wonderful ones of any documentary I've seen, short or feature. Maybe you and Chris can talk about that. Let's play a selection from the closing credits because it's got this beautiful music on it. And we're seeing Porsche. We're seeing the other young musicians and graduates from decades past, in some cases, of the LAUSD program. And it is a beautiful symphonic moment. Thank you. 
can you guys talk about the creation of that that closing credit sequence, which is again is just such a delight to listen to and see. We're both very proud of that because it came together very quickly and against all odds. We've been working on this film for four years. Wow. On and off, Nick Wright, the editor, had been working on the film for four years. You know, a long time for a short documentary. And we submitted the film to Telluride and we we prayed. And we got the news back that they would premiere the film. And it was so exciting. And the film that we submitted just had a normal end credit roll. Black screen, white text, you know, it rolled through. And we had talked a, a couple of times, wouldn't it be great if we had a big final performance of all the kids and everybody, et cetera. And we bat around a number of different ideas, you know, should they go out and play in some iconic LA place or outside or who should be in it? Or can we get celebrities to come who graduate? And we just started batting around this idea. And we had this ticking time clock of whatever deadline we needed to submit the DCP to to the film festival. And basically, we just kind of looked at each other and said, we need to do this. This is an essential part of the movie that's been missing, which is really a testimony to the, the power of music and a great sort of like, you know, fireworks show of all of the students over the last 70 years who have benefited from this thing. The moving thing, which you don't see on screen, is that, and as everybody knows with a short documentary, there's no money in this business. There's no great multi-million dollar sale at the end of the thing. I hope one day there will be for the kind of work we do. But as for, as for now, there's not. And so the moving thing that I always makes me emotional to think about is when you watch that end sequence, it, it's worthy of the Searchlight logo at the top. So many of those people donated their time. So many of those people, when we reached out to them, said, I'm happy to do it, and I'm happy to do it gratis. Even people who don't gave money, not only work for free, but gave money to help make it happen. That's not necessarily a testament to us as much as it is to the school district and people's sort of civic love and appreciation for what was given to them. And I think that's really beautiful. And there's something really sort of Capra-esque of all these people coming, coming back together to pay tribute and give thanks to something that's just great, right? You know, giving, giving kids uh, opportunity to play music, whether they're going to be professionals or not, is just a great thing that we do as a society. And it was a beautiful thing to be there on that day. It was, it was very present around every corner on that stage. And that it was at the the Warner Brothers stage, is that correct? Warner Brothers Eastwood stage, yeah. Yeah. So for for young people to be on a sound stage where you know the greats have, have been is pretty amazing. Casablanca was recorded on this stage, you know, I, which is fun. That's the absolute the first. You think Warner Brothers, you think great scores, and you go there, <laughs> um, and and that's amazing. I mean, I'm I'm literally getting chills thinking about that. The vast majority of, of those of you who do documentaries, you do them for the right reasons. You do them because these are stories that you want to share. Yes, there have been sales and uh, there's been money. And great, if people can make money and do more of this, that's terrific. But normally, no money, very little exposure, hard to get seen. And it gets harder, uh, obviously, where there's more media and with the shorter, whether it's a shorter narrative or a shorter documentary. But you mentioned you have a, an interesting sort of distribution and partners in Searchlight, which 
it, it is quality. You know, that is that is a quality brand, the Searchlight. And then the LA Times or LA Times Production or LA Times uh, Lab. Yeah. Talk about that and talk about your experiences in terms of being able to get this out and get people to see it. It's wonderful to do any of this. We all love creating, but, you know, it's, it's the tree in the forest kind of thing. Talk about this formula that's been put together, and I'm assuming it's working. You both seem happy. Um, <laughs> don't, well, don't we all seem happy in Hollywood? We all seem happy. Nah. Yeah. <laughs> Not anymore. I've, I've given up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think, um, you know, one, just going back to us making it for years on our own, I think it just speaks to the reason why you do anything, right? I think that, like, for us, this wasn't a commission project where somebody asked us to do this. And also at the same time, Ben and I have careers that, you know, are our main sources of sustenance and, and income and time. And so uh, us continuing to come back to this for the last four years is driven by this passion for the story, this passion for these humans being recognized. For me, this passion of like saying thanks to the people that went unseen in, in supporting people like me in terms of my career. And that's the ethos that went into the entirety of making it um, all the way through who we decided to partner with. I think a big part of this was looking for people that were going to agree to put this out there for free, that this wouldn't be behind some mm. sort of paywall, that we can put it up on YouTube for free because, you know, it's a film about access and, and therefore the the story itself needs to have no barrier for access. And also that, uh, I, I don't know, Ben, if we could talk about how much it was, like what, what the deal was for, but I feel like it, it might be... Um, uh, helpful in terms of coloring the fact that this is not in any way some sort of like money thing. <laughs> Part of it is because there's no way for anybody to monetize this, right? So yeah. these partnerships are because Searchlight and LA Times care about the film and think it's worth championing, right? There's no yeah. there's no box office associated with this film or any other short documentary. This is about people who really believe in it who say my mother loved this movie. My friend loved this movie. My sister-in-law is an LAUSD teacher. It's that kind of reaction or like, I was given a saxophone as a kid. This is an important story to tell, which is really, I mean, at the heart of what I think we want to do, at least as artists, which is to put our energies and resources towards something for the sheer reason that we believe in it, Right not because we're playing the movie roulette and hoping to hit it big financially. There's really no possibility for that. This is about permeating the culture. This is about saying something strongly. It, and it's also about, at least for me, I think how much excellence and artistry can we pack into a short documentary, which I think is, is extremely exciting because it's a corner of cinema that nobody has really paid very much attention to or invested a lot of time or money into. And it's the most democratic form of cinema, short documentaries. Are you afraid that people may? You know, Matt and I have talked before, and, and Matt, you can probably speak to this, and, and I'm, I'm asking some broader issues. A, just mad respect to both of you for saying, look, if we're going to do this, put it somewhere where everybody can see it. There was a, a bit of an expansion in, in documentaries. There was money that came in. Streamers wanted to get in that business. Then they found out that people like these true crime things. It's kind of contracted. You two are artists. And I, I, I want to be careful how I throw it around. It's not just that dippy kind of, you know, oh, I'm an artist. But, you know, you, you, you're truly, you're, you're self-assured. At the same time, you're self-effacing. At the same time, you know, you, you create. And to me, that's what an artist 
really is? Do you have any fear that somebody is going to go, hey, there's gold in their hills, and this thing where people can just tell these important stories fearlessly, creatively, passionately, almost freely in the sense that, like you say, people come and you do it because, you know, if you build it, it will come, that there may be speculators who come in, or do you hope maybe secretly this will be a thing that people will continue to slightly ignore so that folks like you can tell these stories that, frankly, folks like me need to see? It's a great question. Chris, I'm not sure how, what your feelings on this particular item is, but no, I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. And I think this is America. So it's going to happen. You know? <laughs> no, I, don't, I, I don't spend too much time being afraid of it. And I, frankly, I already think there are people who have said, you know, wow, there's not a lot of competition in the short documentary Oscar race. Let's take a feature and cut it down or let's go after this segment because it's a less competitive category in the Oscars. And the only thing that's going to drown out that kind of marksmanship is more people making documentaries for the purpose of art and purpose of passion, more documentarians having a method by which to finance these things, which is going to have to be basically through philanthropy until we figure out a way for, for the audience to start paying even small amounts to watch short documentaries. But the truth of the matter is there's a market for the films and you can see them because of YouTube, right? Right. YouTube outpaces Netflix in terms of viewership by five and six times in terms of hours watched per day. It's not even close. YouTube is, by and large, short form. And of course, there's lots of stuff that would not be categorized as cinema, but there is a lot of stuff that would be. And I think the question is not, will it happen? It's just how will it happen and when will it happen? Because there's no question that people like the format. It's just, unfortunately, an antithesis to the streaming world that we live in where people are trying to figure out how to keep people on the platform for as long as possible, right? That's a really important performance indicator. How do we keep people on the platform for as long as possible? That's their product, is the platform. That's why we have the word content. Their product is the the app, right? That serves up the content. So how do we keep people on there? A 15-minute documentary that brings you to tears and catharsis and makes you want to go talk about it for an hour is not going to help you, right? It's in the very nature of the way that we're distributing these films at present, and this will change that is diametrically opposed to the to the format but we can't ignore the fact that in terms of what people want when they go watch something it's short ben can we just put you in charge of hollywood i I (laughs) never heard another executive no problem break it all down where it's like sold me (laughs) well in the time we have remaining i did want to circle back to Patty Moreno, because we've been talking some about Steve Babmanian, but Patty's story is also an immigrant story and so moving. She came to this country as a single mom, two kids from Mexico. Firstly, I want to share another clip from the film where she's talking about when she repairs brass instruments. Kids being kids, they tend to break things. And not only that, but in a brass instrument like a horn or whatever, things magically find their way into the instrument that do not belong there. So she's got this jar of objects that she has fished out of instruments as, as part of the repair process. But let's hear her talk about some of the weird things that wind up in the instruments. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have a big jar. I call it the treasure jar, and it's all the stuff I have found inside the instruments. Batteries, marbles, candies, pencils, erasers. This little toy, it's a tiny about this big and it's all hairy. It's like secret communication between the kid and myself. What kind of story that instrument can tell me if he can talk to me? Patty is is so moving because she talks about, you know, her son wanted to pick up an instrument. I think the saxophone, it was going to cost $20 a month to rent it. They didn't have the money for that. And there's the other young man, 18-year-old, who I mentioned, plays the sousaphone, and he's from a Latino family. And he talks about the fact that he wanted to play this instrument, desperate to do it. Family did not have the money for the instrument. And his parents would tell him, Hola, tuba. Oh, two, meaning either the, the tuba or you, not both. We cannot afford both. We can have a tuba or we can have a son. And it speaks to the fact that, wow, to have free instruments, have them repaired, is so essential. And that's truly what your film is about. Absolutely. Those conversations that we had with the kids were profoundly moving and also surprising because I don't think either of us expected them to go so deep so quickly and to be talking about, you know, health issues with their parents or their own mental health or the financial constraints of wanting to pursue music or whatever. They, they, they knew exactly what was going on. There was no, you know, infantilization happening. That was only happening in our minds. And so it just, it shocked both Chris and I, two of the four kids in the movie lost a parent since the time of filming. Oh, my. <laughs> and that's a really tragic coincidence, but it just goes to show you the kinds of difficult things that young people around the city have to deal with and how important and beautiful their relationship is with something as pure that's not going to go away, hopefully, like their relationship with a, with a violin or with a piano. And I think our way into that was the fact that Chris who is one of them, can sit down and say, tell me about the first time you picked up your saxophone, because he had that experience with, with the piano. I feel like so much of my processing how music and the piano has helped me through my life feels like it's mostly been done in, in adulthood. And so for me, it was somewhat emotional to, to see these young people be able to speak to that at such a young age, that they need this instrument for help with processing anxiety or how to navigate the difficulties of life or, you know, um, if they didn't, Porsche at, at nine years old at the time said she didn't even want to think about what she would do without the violin. And so for her to already have this um, reliance on this instrument to help her through life, I think was so uh, emotional to, to hear from them. And a big part of this thing that really drew us to this story is this, what Patty says is this unspoken communication. The fact that these people are doing this for their own uh, passion and desires to help these kids that they never get to see. And in the film, there's this dialogue that's essentially happening between the kids and, and these craftspeople. But, you know, it was important for us to show these craftspeople who they're impacting and how they're touching these kids. And it was just 
so beautiful to, to see them articulate very clearly the fact that they rely on these things so that these craftspeople can finally hear words to recognize what it is that they do. Is the music available anywhere to, to, to stream, to listen to, to listen to online? Hearing the music, again, as Matt said, the, the end piece is remarkable. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, it's on, it's on Spotify. Lakeshore uh, Records put it out with us. We got to wrap. I know, Matt, you, you, you want to wrap, but I want to say thing, one thing real quick, and I don't want to over-politicize things, but my mother was a teacher. I did mention my sister-in-law and my mother-in-law are also teachers. To see people from these starkly different backgrounds, these adults, who care about these children, care about their livelihoods, care about them. There are so many conversations about, you know, who should be in a classroom, what should be taught, this or that. To be reminded that adults from so many different backgrounds are so necessary to teach our kids, to demonstrate to our kids, not just to proselytize to our kids, but to show awareness. To me, that was also incredibly powerful. This was not a political film, but to me, in an area where, and I'm not trying to turn into politics, I'm saying this in high praise, among the things that you did, it's the subtleties and the representation sometimes, without the shout, not turning up to 11, and just seeing and witnessing. And that, to me, coming from educators, coming from that space, it was absolutely amazing on top of amazing. So I say this, Matt knows, when I love something, I get effusive. If I, if I, you know, if I'm okay with something, you know, I'm okay with it, but I, I can't help but love artistry. And again, what you've done is absolutely incredible. So thank you for that. Best of success with this, although I think you've already succeeded in terms of what this film and what short form documentary and documentaries, frankly, and art are about. So congratulations. Yeah, thanks so much. Yes, and we should mention, Chris, of course, people who follow you know you are one of the most in-demand composers in Hollywood, your list of credits is amazing. You were also shortlisted for The Color Purple for the original score. So that, congratulations, you're shortlisted for this documentary and also you, for... You got your own shortlist. <laughs> you, got, you got a shortlist of shortlists. Amazing. <laughs> I appreciate it. <laughs> and not to neglect that, uh, Ben, of course, you won the Academy Award just a couple of years ago for The Queen of Basketball, such a beautiful film about the late Lucy Harris. So you're continuing this beautiful work in the short documentary space. Congratulations to you both on the success of The Last Repair Shop from Searchlight Pictures, LA Time Studios, and Breakwater Studios. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you both. Thank you. Well, thank you to Chris Bowers and Ben Proudfoot yeah, John, as you've been saying, it's such a beautifully crafted film. The music is wonderful, but, man, the photography is magnificent as well. Yeah, I, I, I really loved it. And, and I, again, also coming from a family of service and, and teachers, absolutely appreciated it. And a great way to, you know, holidays, like everything, your, your mind starts to go different places. You relax a little bit. It was really nice to kind of get back into documentaries with something that's beautiful, something that's uplifting. And really get back in that headspace of these incredible stories. Sundance Film Festival is coming up. I'm guessing, I'm guessing, Matt Carey, you're, you're probably going to be up there a little bit, yeah? Oh, yes. Uh, packing the scarves and gloves <laughs> and other <laughs> heavy-duty gear. I've been fortunate to go for over 20 years, and I absolutely wow. wouldn't miss it. I mean, it's, it is, continues to be the premier place to launch documentaries, and some exciting films are going to debut there. I know we'll be hearing reports from you from there. 
Also, we're going to get some context uh, talking to programmers, talking to folks who run these festivals, and really get a sense of what's going on. And we had an interesting conversation today about marketplaces. We, we don't want to make everything about business, but I do think it's really important, and I, I would hope and think that you agree, you know, understanding the business of the business, it is show business, and that's part of it. Whatever the circumstance, I know, as always, Matt, you are going to come out of Sundance with some amazing stories. I so appreciate working with you. I really appreciated working with you last year and could not be more excited. And we'll say it over and over again to work with you again this year. It's just thank you so stunning much. your Likewise. depth and breadth of knowledge. <laughs> well, um, Matt, Happy New Year one more time. Happy New Year to you. If I don't see you before you travel, safe travels to Sundance, but look forward to doing Doc Talk again with you. Absolutely. We'll see you next week for another episode of Doc Talk. Talk.